1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the star differs from the star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after, the, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Let's get going. Uh, why don't I pray before we uh, dive into our passage this morning? <coughs> Heavenly Father, we ask that this morning 
you would open our eyes by your Spirit. Please help us to see things as they really are, as you have revealed them to us. And we pray that these exciting verses, these joyful, wonderful verses, would hit home in a renewed way for each and every one of us that leads us to praise you for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Death is horrible, isn't it? I know that's not exactly an original observation. I know it's not even the first time in recent weeks that we've said something like that here from the front of St. Mary's. But death really is horrible. It's like a thick, dark cloud that hovers above us over all our lives. And I appreciate that is not a very cheery way to start a sermon at all, is it? Um, But we are going to spend some time thinking about death. I appreciate it won't be a fun time. But we're going to think about death because it's going to really help us see just how marvelous these verses in 1 Corinthians 15 really are. Think of it this way. Have you ever been to a jeweler's shop before? How is it that they get the diamonds to look at their best? They place them on a black velvet background, don't they? That's how they can best get the light to bring out the diamonds in a beauty, its inner brilliance. And that's what we're going to try and do. So the next few minutes, they, they won't be pleasant, but it's the black velvet background to set the stage for the diamond. So death is horrible, that thick, dark cloud. It doesn't really matter what form it takes, does it? I don't know what comes to mind for you. For me, I think of the boy in my school year, who at 11 years old had a brick wall collapse on him. That was it. He was crushed and killed. I think of my friend's dad in the last few weeks of his life, with his skin stretched thin as he was struggling to breathe, dying of cancer. The cold, clinical bleeps of the machinery, the tubes up his nose, the rasping noise. I think of seeing the news, seeing those bodies butchered in Buka. Death is horrible. And the event of death, that's horrible enough. But it's also a cloud that spreads. It sends all sorts of ripples that cast a shadow on the rest of life, doesn't it? Now, this is a little different to what we normally do. But I'd like to tell you a brief story to try and demonstrate this, to try and show you what I mean. And I'm really sorry to say it's only partially made up. And I'm really, really sorry that for so many of us in this room, it will resonate only too well. Della had a good life. She's married to Henry. They were parents to three-year-old Fiona. And wonderfully, after months of trying, Della became pregnant again. She went with Henry for the 12-week scan. This time, they're expecting a little baby boy. They're excited. They can't wait. It feels like their family is just on the cusp of being whole. 
So they tell their, their family and their close friends the good news. Except tragically, at 19 weeks, it all goes wrong. Della has a miscarriage. She's devastated. There's the physical trauma. She can't quite tell whether she prefers the moments where she's completely overcome with emotion or the moments where she just feels numb and detached. Della blames herself. She's overcome with guilt and shame. She can't work out what she did wrong. She feels awful that her body seems inadequate in some way. She must be a bad mother. Henry tries to help, but he's dealing with the grief himself. And besides, Della, she seems to push others away these days, even though it's obvious that she's feeling isolated. Della doesn't even know what she might want from other people, but she knows her mum could be doing more. She can't put her finger on quite what she needs from her, but something's lacking and it's hurtful. But death's not done. As time goes on, the initial pain, that fades, but death still has its grip. The cloud still casts its shadow. Eventually, Della becomes pregnant again, another boy. It should be a time of pure joy, but Della remembers and she feels guilty. She finds it hardest on particular dates. Uh, the next scan is four days after what should have been that unborn baby's first birthday. When Max, the new baby boy, is born, Della understandably sees him as so precious. But Fiona, her daughter, she picks up on that. Mum seems to have a clear favourite now. So Fiona resents Max as they grow up together. There's a rift there right from the off. Della's mum, she tries to <laughs> lend an extra special hand when Max is newly born. She's well-meaning. But it comes across to Della as getting in the way and intruding. That mother-daughter relationship is already fractured. It's already strained. But this just deepens those wounds. All of that, and more, from one little life that was snuffed out. A life that no one ever even knew. A thick, dark cloud of death. It hangs heavy over life, doesn't it? Death is horrible. And I think that one of the most compelling things about Christianity is that it doesn't shy away from this reality. God agrees that death is horrible. It is not as things should be. The Bible tells the story of how death is an unwanted intruder in this world. We see it a little bit in the past section of 1 Corinthians that we had read out for us earlier. Paul alludes to the story of Genesis chapter 3. Look back at the start of verse 21 with me. Do you see what it says? Death came through a man. Here, Paul, 
he reminds us it was Adam, the man from the earth, who brought death into the world. He and Eve, our first parents, they set the pattern for all their offspring. We're all chips off the old block. We're all destined for the grave. We're all living under that cloud of death. We too have frail and perishing bodies. Youth doesn't last. Um, and the, the irony is that the body decays, but the mind, it goes on, doesn't it? Um, longing for the good old days to be back. You, can, you know what I mean. You've probably all seen those blokes on the sidelines. It's quite a sad sight, isn't it? You can just tell they're longing, they're itching to get back out there themselves from when they were younger. But they can't. I remember my granddad, he, he once uh, totally forgot himself and joined us in jumping into the swimming pool. Um, and that was enough. It ruptured his Achilles tendon. And you might be sitting here, and you might not realize it because your body's fine, but no offense, take a look around. See the sagging and the backing. <laughs> See the craying and the balding. That's all because, by nature, we're in we are what Paul refers to in verse 22 as in Adam. We're all destined to die. A few years ago in 2018, I traveled to Heathrow to take a flight for a holiday, if you can remember such a thing. Um, when I arrived, it was one of those days. It was drizzly. It was cold. It was gray. It was just so British. But when I boarded the plane and when we took off, do you know what we did? We burst through the clouds. And not a more clouds. We burst through. Well, I don't think I'd really thought about what we would burst through to. But it was to glorious sunshine. For Paul, this is a little bit what, uh, like what happened at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 21 with me again. Since death came through a man, so this age of death, it started with Adam. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. The resurrection of, the, of um, the dead, the resurrection age, as we saw last week, it starts through a man, the risen Lord Jesus. And just like how we naturally resemble Adam, we're in him. If you're a Christian, now you're in Jesus. Look again at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. It's a little bit like that aeroplane ride. Jesus has burst through the cloud of death. And if I'm in him, I too will burst through. I too will be raised. That's why Jesus, the heavenly man, he's called the first fruits. He's the first of many who will walk in his footsteps. Now, it's natural to have all sorts of questions about this, and Paul expects the Corinthians to have them too, and he preempts some of them in verse 35. Have a look at it uh, again with me. 
Paul writes, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? These are the sorts of questions that we may well be asking uh, this morning. Uh, maybe you like the sound of being in Christ rather than in Adam, but you just can't fathom the practicalities of life in a new body from out under that cloud of death. It might be that for you, the, the whole idea of a resurrection, it just seems ridiculous. Well, Paul gives us three illustrations to help us understand. The first, it comes from horticulture uh, in verse 36. Paul even says, don't be foolish when it comes to asking these questions about the resurrection. It's not so weird. It's an idea. It's embedded in the whole world around us. See what he says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow... You do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. You see? It's an idea. It's so basic. You do it at nursery school. You take a seed. It looks one way. It has its own characteristics. You put it in the soil. The seed dies. But what comes up is the plant. It's totally different to the seed. But it's so much better than the seed. We're so familiar with that image, we don't even need to think about it, do we? And Paul continues in verse 38. But God gives it a body which he has determined. To each kind of seed, he gives its own body. God has given you a body this morning. You are unique. And when you rise, you will be different, but recognizable. You'll be superior, but you'll still be you. The second illustration, it comes down there in verse 39. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another. Birds another, and fish another. Again, it's not such a strange idea, is it? Um, not all bodies are suited to the same purpose. So why do you suppose that the, res the resurrection body, it wouldn't be of a different kind to our bodies now? Blokes, I suspect that you don't hug your wife, you, you don't put your arm around their, the back of their neck and their shoulders and expect to feel fish skin. <laughs> My body is not very well suited to flying. A fish's body is not very well suited to walking around on the ground. A resurrection body, it will be different. It's for a different purpose. And so look with me at verse 40 for the third illustration that Paul gives. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Again, it's not too hard to grasp, is it? Uh, you can look at a star and you can appreciate its splendor. But you don't get it mixed up with the moon. And you don't get the moon mixed up with the sun. Here Paul uses, he uses that word splendor. He literally means glory. It's the same sort of language that's used in the Bible to describe the divine presence, God himself. In other words, we will be given the kind of bodies which are ready for the new creation. Well, if we had two questions in verse 35 and three illustrations in verses 36 to 41, 
Now Paul moves us on. He moves us on to explanations in verses 42 to 57. You know, we've got the concept, but now we get to the so what. Why is all of this such a big deal? Well, have a look. If the body now is perishable, the resurrection body will be imperishable. No more death. No more aging. No more of that sagging or bagging or balding or graying or aching. If the body now is dishonorable, it will be raised in glory. God is going to glorify us. It's hard to imagine. Unthinkable even, isn't it? Um, Isn't that backwards? Uh, It almost seems wrong. Surely we glorify God. I think often we we gravitate towards more sort of um, concrete ideas of what will happen at the resurrection. Uh, We we gravitate to the idea of God cancelling our sin. Uh, We gravitate to the idea of him hearing our prayers, drying our tears, which are all good and marvellous things. But in our resurrection bodies... God will glorify us. Our bodies now are weak. They tire. They fail us. They're susceptible to illness and to sin. But they will be raised powerful as the resurrection bodies. Our bodies now, they're they're natural. But they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. Now, when Paul says that in verse 44, he's not denying that we'll have bodies. He's not saying that we'll be souls floating around in the ether someday. No, what he's really saying is that our bodies now, they're of earthly quality. But one day, one day they'll be of heavenly quality. But why does Paul think that the resurrection body will be like this? Look down at verse 47 with me. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Paul encourages us to look to Christ as the pattern. He's the first fruits. We will rise in the same way as him. The gospel promise is not just that we'll be with Jesus, it's that we'll be like him. And Paul can say that. He can say that as one who's met the risen Jesus. And so think of the resurrection accounts of Jesus. He was recognizable, but not, wasn't he? Remember Mary thinking that he was the gardener, um, or the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They saw Jesus, but he was different enough um, that they just couldn't recognize him at first. He had his wounds, yet he was victorious and loving all at the same time. Think, too, of that amazing image of Jesus, the risen Jesus, from the start of the book of Revelation. Let me read it to you. There was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, 
and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the shining sun in all its brilliance. When I, John, saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Behold your risen king. Behold the one who's burst through that cloud of death. Behold the one whose image you one day will fully bear if you trust in him. It will happen. We've seen the risen Christ. In fact, it must happen. We're in the resurrection age. See how Paul puts it in verse 50. Look down at it with me. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Do you see? The new creation, it's coming soon. And Jesus says, you're not going in like that. We need bodies which are suitable for the new heaven and the new earth. Bodies like that of the risen Lord Jesus. It will happen for all Christians. We know that our dead brothers and sisters, they're better off than us. We know that today they're with Jesus in paradise. That's not ultimate. Don't fall for that. This resurrection life, in resurrection bodies, that's what God has in store for us. And it might happen before all of us in this room have died. It will certainly happen before all Christians have died. It'll happen in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the trumpet, like the trumpet on the Day of Atonement in the year of Jubilee, to sow friendship and fellowship with God, to show that he is our God and we are his people. But the resurrection, it's not primarily about me, my body, living forever. That stuff, it's significant, it's important. But Christ's resurrection, it's mainly to do with the start of this resurrection age. That we can be confident that God is going to set everything right on the last day. That day of perfect justice is coming We see that in verses 54 and 55, don't we? On that day, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the immortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The world is going to be set to rights including our bodies, and death, rather than being that cloud that hangs over us, it will be swallowed up. Jesus completes his victory over death, and he shares it with us. If you're not a Christian here today, do you realize that you're in Adam? If I were to ask you, who tyrannizes your life? Who might you say? Maybe you'd leap to politics. 
Well, let me tell you this. Neither Boris Johnson nor Keir Starmer tyrannize your life. Eventually, we'll vote both of them out. Death tyrannizes our lives. Try voting death out. Go and read the headstones outside in the churchyard. Ask a neighbor after the service. Can they remember the names of all their great-grandparents? That's where you're heading. You might say, fine, I believe that death is just annihilation. Well, friends, Christ has indeed been risen from the dead, been raised from the dead. We are in that resurrection age. Read verse 56 with me and do it carefully because I think we easily read something other than what Paul actually wrote. So verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Not what we expect. We expect Paul to say the sting of sin is death, don't we? We've thought about Adam already, haven't we? Um, Didn't he sin which led to death entering the world? That's probably what we think Paul meant to say, isn't it? But no, look again. In death, we find the punishment for sin. The punishment for sin is not consumed by death. Death will mean, if I'm in Adam, that I will face the just punishment before a holy God for my sin. And the law tells me, the Bible tells me what that will be like. But as a Christian... As a Christian, I don't need to be worried about facing God's wrath on the day of judgment. I will be in Christ, transformed to be like Christ. I'll be counted as him, as he is. In my family, I have a semi-warranted reputation uh, of being a bit of a wuss when it comes to wasps. Um, I'm not so bad now as when I was younger, but I'm still not great. Um, But imagine a stingless wasp. You wouldn't care if they buzzed around your picnic table, would you? You'd just bat them away as being a nuisance. And not even a big one at that. That is what death is now like for us, brothers and sisters. I think that in giving us this chapter, God wants us to realize the times we're living in. He wants us to be future-facing. He wants us to imagine what one day we will be like. Oh, if only we could see what we will be. Just try and imagine a body where you have the captivating energy and vivacity of children, but it's mingled with the strength and the beauty of adulthood. And ponder this. It's a body that has the wisdom and the dignity of character that comes with age. Ponder a body with no more weaknesses or pains. Not just the pains we know about, but also those that we're so used to, we don't even realize that we have them anymore. A bit like, you know when you take off a heavy rucksack, and you didn't even realize how much it was weighing you down, and you feel like you could almost float. Just imagine that body. But it's not all just grin and bear it now with the promise of a better tomorrow. Where we're heading, it transforms our now. Read verse 58 with me, because here there are two things Paul wants for the Corinthians and for us. 
Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The first thing, Paul gives us both the positive and the negative of the same idea. Stand firm, positive. Let nothing move you, negative. Keep holding to the true gospel of the risen Christ, the things of first importance. Stand firm that in living, that stand firm in knowing that right now we're living at the start of the resurrection age. Stand firm in the knowledge that on the day of judgment you'll be hidden in Christ, transformed to be like him. The second thing that Paul tells us is that our lives, they're not empty. They aren't lived in vain as Christians. They'll have a lasting impact. We're to give ourselves fully to God's work. We're to be abounding in his work, having more than enough, overflowing in his work. Right now, we're in Christ, and so we're meant to walk like him. For Christ, we've seen his work, and we'll be reminded of it eternally. He still bears his wounds. In the book of Revelation, how is he described? The lamb who was slain. For us, though, what does the Lord's work look like? What has lasting, eternal worth? How about evangelism? Telling others the good news of Jesus, that he's risen, that if they come to him, they too needn't fear judgments. That if they come to Jesus, they too will one day be transformed. How about discipleship? Um, a concern and a love for your brothers and sisters to grow in Christ-likeness. A desire to see other Christians presented spotless and without blemish before their maker and judge. There's two things, just for starters. However, I'm conscious that with those things, we could end up thinking that unless I'm basically a mini-vicar who doesn't get to wear a dog collar, um, nothing I do has value. I'm not saying that evangelism and disciple, that's the exclusive remit of Rob. Um, That's not at all true. But what about the rest of life? Well, our bodies, they'll continue. They won't be done away with but they'll be transformed. So it matters what I do with it. Living a holy life, a life that is pleasing to God, a life that's in step with his spirit, who lives inside our bodies as Christians, as his temple. And so our holiness, our being set apart, that's work for the Lord, no? In my sexuality, in my sense of justice, in my heart for other people, The integrity with which I do my work to the best of my ability and the integrity and love and care in which I treat my colleagues. I can live in a way that genuinely pleases God today. In a way that will carry on and be honoured into eternity. Christ, the heavenly man, he's the pattern of resurrection life only you could see what you will be and what you are. If only you could see his triumph over death, which for now hangs over you like a cloud. Stand firm 
in these truths. Give yourself fully to the Lord's work because it's not in vain. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the richness of your gospel. Thank you for the incredible promises that you've given us in Christ. Thank you that there's so much more than we would imagine up ourselves. Help us to hold firm to the truths that Christ is risen and that we're in the resurrection age. Thank you that means that we are heading for resurrection bodies, an age where we don't live under that cloud of death at all. Thank you that we're moving towards the day where you will set the world to rights, where death will be swallowed up. Help us to see it, we pray. Help us to give ourselves your work in light of it. Empower us to do that by your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.